playoffs, and they had fantastic runs in the playoffs with a wild card victory. Hopefully the same thing is going to happen once again in Kansas City. Earlier on in the week, we took a look at that 1989 season and the Steelers and the Oilers. Let's take a look at another fantastic wild card classic in the snow. The Steelers, the Cleveland Browns in the 2002 season. Enjoy. Pittsburgh Steeler fans, welcome back to the Behind the Steel Curtain family of podcasts. You have reached the AM platform, and you're checking out the Steeler Retro Show. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. Alongside with me is my good friend, Tony Defio. Tony, how are you today, my friend? I am very well. Thank you for asking. I'm, I'm very excited about talking about this game. 2002 was one of my favorite years, and that was one of my favorite playoff games. It's something that you and I really enjoy going back in time with this. We went back to 1984. We went back to uh, actually 1989 as well. We wild card games, playoff games. We're going to do another playoff game today as we go back, uh, not as far. We're only going to set the uh, time circuits to January 5th of 2003 as we go back in time to a magical year where the Steelers it didn't start out magical for the Steelers. Let's talk about 2002. And we are talking about a year, Tony, as we head back in time when everybody was doing Gollum impressions. <laughs> Smeagol, the ring. And I don't even know if that's close. But uh, the people were watching the Lord of the Rings, Two Towers in droves. People were finding themselves losing themselves. In Eminem's Lose Yourself, that was the uh, top song from the uh, Eight Mile movie, and George W. Bush was nearing his second half of his first term, and he was calling for health care reform, something we've heard time and time again. And Ohio State shocked Miami the day before this game in the Fiesta Bowl, 31-24, to to win the national title. Do you remember that crazy game? I remember watching it while playing cards with, with uh, some friends, and I remember the Willis McGahee grew some injury. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty, uh, pretty crazy. Absolutely awful. It was great that he was able to uh, continue his career and uh, rebound from that as well. Another pigskin team from the Buckeye State was having a great year, and it was the Cleveland Browns. Now, the Steelers beat the Browns three times in the 2002 season, but uh, the Browns were flying high under first-year coach um, Butch Davis, actually second-year coach Butch Davis at the time, and Kelly Holcomb. So gone were the days of Bill Belichick and Vinny Testaverde and the guys that were really leading the Browns to their first playoffs in eight years. And eight years before was when the Steelers knocked out Belichick and Vinny in the playoffs in 1994. Tony, you probably remember that as well. I do. That was a, a fun year. One of my favorite years up until, up until the very end. But yeah, they, uh, they beat the Browns twice in a regular season and, and everybody thought that the Browns were going were gonna to get revenge in the playoffs. And that was actually their most dominant performance over Cleveland in, in the playoff game. It absolutely was. Now, going into the 2002 season, the Steelers were coming off of a 13-3 and year. 
I mean, we all know about the AFC championship game lost to that very Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. Uh, that was a team that a lot of people thought were going to the Super Bowl. In fact, I thought they were going to the Super Bowl, Tony. I bought tickets for that game. Mm. I had tickets to the Super Bowl, the post 9-11 Super Bowl. U2 was there. I didn't get a chance to go to that because of that, that loss that I was at in person in the uh, 2001 AFC Championship game. So uh, a lot of people were thinking that the Steelers were going to continue that, but they started off very poorly with losses to New England on Monday Night Football in the first game ever in Gillette Field and to the Oakland Raiders in week two on Sunday Night Football, a game that both you and I attended. Yeah, I was there that night with my brother uh, earlier that day. It, it was a crazy day. My apartment caught on, my apartment building caught on fire. Not my apartment, but the uh, the landlord's uh, portion of it upstairs, and we had to evacuate. There were three or four stations that that that, that called on it, and uh, but that night was was another uh, another natural disaster, thanks to Rich Gannon and uh, his uh, plethora of dink and dunk passes all night. The Steelers had no answer for it. Yeah, that was the game that uh, I was ignored in the concourse in the third quarter uh, by Lynn Swan and his wife. And I'm not <laughs> a big guy. I just tried to say hello. I just said, hey, Lynn. And he just like burst past me. There was nobody else in the concourse. And it was just like the two of us it was in the middle of the third quarter. That's funny you mentioned that because uh, I he was part owner of the Pittsburgh Power. And I, I, <laughs> I don't know why I did this, but uh, – I went to a game about 10 years ago and, and I was the only one in, in this particular se- section and it was early and I looked up and he was just standing there and I said, am I in the right section? <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't even look at me. <laughs> he, he ignored you. Yeah, Cause Lynn, that's why I didn't vote for you when you were running for governor. I'm just going to tell you that. Um, I wasn't a, a Pennsylvania resident, so I, I really couldn't, but uh, did not appreciate that Lynn Swan, not at all. So, uh, you know, <laughs> as we. Not, not always so graceful. Like, yeah, like, I, that really upset me. Um, but let's talk about this game. This game would have not happened if it wasn't for week three. So they went 0-2. They almost went 0-3 when they played Cleveland for the first time. And what happened? Cordell Stewart was pulled in the fourth quarter of that game. The Steelers were down by 10 in overtime. They brought Tommy Maddox in. And in overtime, they had a chance to win the game. Todd Peterson had his field goal blocked. They recovered it. He hit the next field goal. They won that game. Suddenly, the Steelers had a new quarterback. They lost the next week to New Orleans and were 1-3, and three, but the run started there, and the Steelers were good enough. After a really crazy 2002 season, lots of crazy things happened in that season, but good enough to get to the playoffs. They did not win the division. Because remember, they were still in the... Uh, oh, no, they, they won. They won the division? That was the first year of realignment. And uh, thankfully for them, because they needed... That's right. To work, yeah, they had to work some uh, through some things, but the offense with the quarterback and the defense was uh, kind of exposed thanks to Dick LeBeau with the uh, spreading them out the year before in Cincinnati. So they had some things to work through. And they lost the uh, Titans and the uh, Jaguars to the AFC South, which I think is a good thing because they had no answers for the <laughs> Titans for years, especially Steve McNair. He was a lot, in a lot of ways. He was like pre Tom Brady. He, they just had no answers for him. So it was probably a good thing that they got to deal with the uh, Ravens and the Browns and the, and the Bengals all year instead of the, uh, the Titans. I mean, they did have to tangle with them, but not in their own division. 
Yes, they did. So let's go ahead and uh, take a peek at this game because they ended up winning, um, winning that division, like you said, and they had an opportunity to host the Cleveland Browns. Once again, they did not go, they had not been in the playoffs for eight seasons and they were finally back in. And this was after uh, they were gone from the league for uh, a few years. Um, after the 1995 season, they came back in 1999. Butch Davis came in is in the second season, got them to the playoffs. They haven't been there since, but this was a good team. Right. And they were led. They were led by Earl Holmes on defense. And Earl Holmes was the guy that uh, was with the Steelers the year before and left via free agency. And he was one of their leading tacklers for years. And now he's on the other side with the Browns. This was a snowy, ended up being a snowy day. It started off very muddy. What do you remember about the start of this game, Tony? I remember, well, uh, the, the field was, was pretty bad. I remember that. It, it, looked, it, looked, it was really awful in those days. But I remember the, the, the second or third play from scrimmage, the Browns uh, had a pass to the, to the sideline, a, a little sh- sideline pass that w- would have been good for a first down. But uh, Coward challenged it, and he actually won the challenge. And he probably wishes he, he would have lost it because in the very next play, Holcomb hit uh, Kevin Johnson for an 83-yard catch and run all the way down to the one. And a play later, William Green, the running back, took it in. And just like that, they were down 7 nothing. And it's funny, um, William Green the next year got in a fight with Joey Porter. Joey Porter got in a fight before this game with uh, Brent Boyer. Um, he liked to do that against the Browns. Uh, I remember James Ferrier laughing, but it was no laughing matter with uh, one minute and 16 seconds into the game. The Steelers are down 7 nothing. The Browns were a great passing team that year. Holcomb, this was only his fifth start, but he was on fire. Mm-hmm. You had other, because remember Tim Couch was around, but I, he was hurt. And then Holcomb took over for him and did really well in that offense. And they had great receivers, just like uh, the game we talked about last week with the four-headed monster in Houston with the Houston Oilers of 1989. This team had Kevin Johnson. It had Andre Davis. Mm-hmm. It had, um, who am I missing here? Dennis Northcutt. And uh, the other guy that I always forget, Tony. Quincy Morgan, Quincy uh, Morgan, Andre King. Ah, I he, forgot about Andre King as yeah, well. He was, the, he was like the fifth receiver. So they're down seven nothing right away. Um, not much happened the rest of that quarter. Sixteen seconds into the second quarter, a future Steeler, Chris Gardaki, he punted the ball, and Lewis Sanders blindsided Antoine Randall L, forcing him to cough it up. At the Steelers' 32-yard line, very next play, the Browns struck again. And it was Dennis, Dennis Northcutt beating Hank Poteet for the touchdown. All of a sudden, Tony, everybody's going crazy. It's 14-0 Cleveland. Yeah, um, it was, everybody, you could hear a pin drop at that point. And, and I spoke to my brother-in-law the week leading up to that game, and he said, well, I wish I had a bye, but they kind of have a bye because you're playing the Browns. And, and just like that, because of uh, a porous defense and, and some mistakes on offense, you're down 14 nothing. Why was Poteet in there? Uh, Chad Scott, uh, 
was uh, injured. I think he had a broken hand or something. And, and uh, so he was out for that game. And, and as Phil Sim said during the broadcast, that's why he gets paid the big bucks. <laughs> when, uh, when, when a player goes down, you have to move everybody up the depth chart. And Hank, Hank Poteet was not ready for the challenge. Yeah, he really was not. He got victimized that entire game. And uh, when you find out how many yards Holcomb got in that game, it's absolutely incredible. Um, they, they torched the heck out of that uh, second-year player there. Steelers took over. They started moving the ball. They were moving it well. They were at the Browns' 25-yard line. Then Maddox throws the ball, and Dwayne Rudd tips it in the air. Dalen McCutcheon comes down with it. Right. And all of a sudden, the Browns have the ball back. But they, had, they were forced to punt. The Steelers were playing messy that entire game. Um, they were turning the ball over. They weren't playing well at all, Tony. They were not, but, but uh, Randall L came to the rescue. He, he, uh, he, had a, uh, he struck out in, in early in the game, and this time he had a home run, the 65-yard punt return uh, to get the Steelers back in the game. And like Phil Sim said, the Steelers could take a breath, and that's how, certainly how it felt. It felt like they were, they were given new life at that point. The great thing about that entire touchdown is Cower said to him, he was like, you owe me one. You owe me one after the turnover. And Randall L's a rookie there. And it spoke to Randall L. And he was like, all right, I owe coach one. And he really gave him one with that 65-yard touchdown. Um, it was the first ever punt return for a touchdown in the playoffs in Pittsburgh Steeler history. It's 14-7 to Browns at this point, Tony. Towards the end of the first half, the Browns drove down the field to the Steeler one-yard line, but PZ came up big, Tony. Yeah, they were they were going to try a wide receiver uh, option pass to to Holcomb in the end zone, and and uh, PZ would have none, none of it. He uh, he dropped them for a 15-yard loss back to the 20, and the, and the Browns had to settle for a field goal to at, uh, to make it 17-7. So Phil Dawson, who uh, was in the league forever. He tried to widen the Cleveland lead, and, uh, well, you know what? He did. He had a 31-yarder. So, all of a sudden, it's 17-7 to Steelers. So, Jeff Reed's like, hey, at the end of the half, I'm going to try to do the same thing. I'm going to try to make this a 17-10 ball game. The rookie that season, and he had a really good rookie year. He didn't seem to miss much at all that rookie season. Because remember, he came in in November mm -hmm. with that six-for-six six performance in his first game against Jacksonville. And he came in, but he was not to be in this game. He missed a 46-yarder, could not tighten up the game. Next thing you know, it's halftime, and the Steelers are down 17-7. to seven. Yeah, it was a it was a pretty mistake filled first half on both sides of the ball, and and uh, to be down ten points to it to your division rival, a team you beat twice in a regular season, that, that couldn't have felt good. And uh, Bill Cowher was interviewed by the sideline reporter, and he said, "Well, at least we get the ball in in the third quarter, so we're going to try to get something going." And as we're about to find out, that the exact opposite of that happened. Indeed, it did, and we will be back right after this on the Steelers Retro Show when we go to the second half of Cleveland versus Pittsburgh, January 5th, 2003.
back to the Steeler Retro Show. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. Alongside me is Tony Defio. As we are setting dr- adrift on memory bliss and going back to 2003, the magical 2002 Tommy Gunn season for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And we're in the playoffs, and it's not magical right now, Tony. The Steelers are down 17-7, to and they're starting the third period, and disaster strikes again. Yeah, they, uh, they get the ball to start the third quarter, and you're looking for them to, to put something together and get back in the game. And instead of that, they go three and out, and they have to punt to Dennis Northcutt, who takes it 59 yards down to the 15. And the, yeah. and the Browns are, 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 in, are in great shape. 24-7, 12-11 to play in the third. I wasn't watching this game. I was actually listening to it on the radio um, until this point. This is when I got to my friend's house to watch the game, we were traveling from Johnstown to West Virginia, where I was living at the time. And uh, because of, uh, you know, picking up uh, a buddy's child and taking him back to West Virginia, it took a lot of time. And uh, we lost, we lost the first half. So I had a listener on the radio and it was torture to listen to. So I couldn't wait. Uh, I was hoping by turning on the TV at my friend's house, uh, where there's about 10 to 15 of us watching, I thought maybe that would uh, you change our fortunes, and it didn't. It was 24 to 7. We had a Browns fan calling us at this point, <laughs> bragging and, uh, and laughing at us. It was at my friend Tom's house, and uh, his buddy, who loved the Cleveland Browns, was calling to say, Hey, we're beating you. We're gonna, we finally got you. Ha ha. <laughs> and uh, we'll tell you a little bit about that in a little bit. But 24 to 7, you were probably devastated. Did you want to go home at this point? I I was pretty stunned, and, and I think I was watching with my uncle, and, and the general attitude seemed to be, well, they might as well just pack it in now because they can't stop anybody. If they can't stop Kelly Holcomb, what's the point of even continuing uh, after this week anyway? That's how, that's how we felt. We were, we were, we were that deflated after, after barely two, two, not even two and a half quarters. Absolutely. Everybody was stunned. Fans were packing their gear. But the Steelers did not pack it in. Safety Mike Logan, McKeesport Mike, one of my favorites uh, from McKeesport, PA. Mike Logan owed Cower 1-2. He got nailed for a helmet-to-helmet hit on Holcomb that extended the drive. Um, But then Logan intercepted the former Colt backup quarterback a few plays later with 7.35 remaining in the third. On that ensuing drive, Maddox took over Tommy Gunn what did he do Tony he drove him right down the field and and he found the one and only Plexico Burris in the back of the end zone for a six-yard touchdown pass to make it 24-14 and that was huge and you mentioned Mike Logan's interception because uh you know at that point in the game the Browns are, are up by 17 and it looks like they're going down to put some more points on the board instead he he steps in front of a, a little short little pass and 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 allows the Steelers a chance to get back into the game. With 3.50 to go in the third, it was a balletic play. I mean, he, that big man, but it was a beautiful catch. And so you're, you're kind of feeling, okay, maybe they might be back here. After Brown's drive down to the Steelers' seven-yard line, stalled, man, if they get it in there, it could be really bad. But uh, Dawson um, – 27 to 14, he hits another field goal, 24 yard field goal. Could have been disastrous. 
And at that point, fans started to file out of the stadium. And it's something you should never do, Tony. No, uh, like with your friend who was calling and, 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 and bragging, uh, the reason why they're doing this show is you never know what can happen in sports. And that's what, why sports are great. You, you stay until the bitter end because it's the greatest uh, reality TV show there is. Well, it almost got worse. Antoine Randall L. was on fire in the drive. He cut his third pass of the drive, but fumbled it on the two-yard line, and it looked like the Browns had recovered. It would have been all over from there, but the Steelers were getting calls in this game, and this call was reversed on the field when number 82 was ruled down by contact. Moments later, with 12.28 left in the fourth period, Maddox had another ball tipped by the same man, Dwayne Rudd, but he had enough on it for Jeremy Tooman to come down with it, number 84, in the back of the end zone for the touchdown. All of a sudden, Tony, it's 27-21, and fans in the parking lot are begging Heinz Field mm -hmm. security to get back in, and they were not allowed in, no avail. Oh, imagine that. And it was at this point that I finally started to feel good that Pittsburgh had come back because they were only down by six, and there was a, almost a full quarter to go. Well, it started to look bleak again because there's 10-17 left to play. That Kelly Holcomb was red hot. He threw another touchdown pass. This time it went to Andre Davis from 22 yards out. Once again, torching that Steelers secondary. The Browns went for two, though. Holcomb's pass to Quincy Morgan was well defended by Deshae Townsend, and it was only 33-21 at that point, but it was still looking bad. Yeah, they, uh, they, they, they didn't have much time, and they didn't have many answers for, for Kelly Holcomb. But as we're going to find out soon, that, that stopping that two-point conversion would, would turn out to be huge. With 5.30 left in the game, the Steelers got the ball back at their own 23-yard line, Tony. They frantically were moving down the white-speckled Hinesfield turf as that snow started to come a lot more. It was, a, it was really coming down at this point. A couple minutes later, Maddox threw incomplete on third down, but Robert Griffith hit Heinz Ward helmet to helmet, and he was penalized for it. It was the third first down in that drive to penalties. Next thing you know, it's 33 to 28 Cleveland. How did that happen? Uh, Tommy hit, uh, Tommy Gunn hit Heinz Ward on, on a little, uh, passed uh, to make it 33 28 uh he actually threw it in, in traffic he, th he just thre threaded the needle between like i think three different guys and you know heinz ward being heinz ward gathered it in took the shot and scored a touchdown that was with 311 left the play um after a quick three and out the steelers get the ball back and uh just inside their own 40 after a punt and that was only 46 seconds later because the defense really stepped up with not a right. lot of time left Right. The defense had to work fast. You can't even afford a first down. Tommy Maddox was 30 for 48 for four, 367 yards and three TDs on the game. He drove the Steelers down the field, and with 54 seconds remaining, one bad Malafala, Chris Fuamata Malafala, took the ball in from the three-yard line. All of a sudden, it's 34-33 Steelers. Yeah, that was uh... – that was the first time in the game that they were they were uh, they they were finally ahead, and it, I, I it, it was a surreal feeling because I 
just moments earlier when they were losing 33 to 21, it just felt like uh, they were going to, they were going to, it was just going to be one of those games like against the Ravens a few years ago in, in a wild card game where they just kind of methodically came, uh, came in Hinesfield and methodically uh, beat them up 30 to 17. That's the kind of, that's kind of how this game felt. And now all of a sudden they're winning by one point. The Steelers played over 59 minutes of football before finally taking their first lead of the game. So they lined up for their own two-point conversion attempt. And this was wild, wasn't it, Tony? Talk about this. Yeah, well, they had uh, several guys on the team who could play quarterback and receiver. And Heinz Ward and, and Antoine Randall were two of those guys. And, and uh, Ward lined up as, uh, in, in the quarterback spot. But then he went into motion, and it was a direct snap to uh, Antoine Randall. And he scrambled to his right and found that man again, Jeremy Tooman, to make it 36-33 amazing like i said i was going crazy i was with my buddies now we were going nuts um but they still had kelly holcomb and they had enough time on the clock to get down there holcomb had 429 yards on the day three scores he was on fire Mm -hmm. he's he tried he got them down to the 30 yard line and it looked like they were going to have enough time left for dawson to come on with a chance for a tie and Dawson was automatic around then, but did not have enough time to get out on the field. The game was over. The Steelers won one of the most wild games in Pittsburgh Steeler history. The crowd was going nuts and people in the people in the uh, parking lot were going nuts. And those people later lied and told <laughs> people that they were there for the game and they weren't because they left the stadium, Tony. They, they, they left too early. You never leave a game early until the, until the clock says zero. And, and I remember collapsing on my uncle's living room floor and just like exhaustion. And it, it was fitting that the game would end that way because that's just kind of how the, the season went. It was just a, a roller coaster ride and you, and you never knew what would happen next. But that's why we watch sports. Absolutely. I was at my buddy Tommy Regan's house. Um, he was in West Virginia, in Elkins, West Virginia, where we, we were living at the time. Um, I was there with my buddy Gene. Tom wasn't there. Tom was at the game, but he was one of those guys. He called it Steeler Central in West Virginia, and we would go to the games every week. Every 15 people would gather, but uh, if he wasn't going to be there, he was going to leave the door open, and he wouldn't tell us. He'd call us and say, no, I'm, I'm, or write a note on the fridge and say, I, I'm at the game, but didn't want us to know because he wanted us to come and enjoy his house. That's and, awesome. And uh, his buddy – who was a Browns fan, we ended up calling him back. And uh, I usually don't taunt, but I was like, hey, you never celebrate until there's <laughs> zeros on the clock, my friend. Absolutely right. Tony, that was a particularly tough year for you, wasn't it? Yeah, I mentioned the, uh, the, the, the fire in week two, the, the night I went to, or the morning of the night I went to the Raiders game. And then later that year, I, I gave my landlord noticed that I was moving and for some reason even though it was a ratty little basement apartment he must have showed that place to about 10 different people and I'm assuming one of those people was casing the place and they broke into my apartment so that wasn't a, a great regular season for me even though I, I wasn't playing I, I had a fire and, and, a, and a break and all in, in one regular season. Wow I, I gotta tell you Tony um, that is absolutely amazing but you told me earlier that this game helped you get through that. And that's what the Steelers do. That's right. Just like uh, when I was a teenager in that 89 
Wildcard winner of the Oilers. That 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 was a tough year for me. And and this year I was I was a full fledged adult. I was 30 years old, but but life was rough for me that year. And and uh, this game, you know, it it helped me helped me cope with with uh, some of the things I was I was going through. So I I, I always appreciate that time. That's the glory of getting lost in sports for three hours and into the Steelers. I mean, there's only 16 games a year, plus maybe, if you're lucky, a couple in the postseason. But you could really forget about the world and enjoy those moments. And these kind of moments last forever because we're talking about this game 17 and a half years later. And it feels so good to talk about it. And it's something that we will never forget. And that's what the Steeler Retro Show is all about. So, Tony, thanks for the memories. Thanks for setting a drift on memory of bliss with me on this. We're going to do another fun one. We're going to go back to 1997 next week when we're a similar game against the New England Patriots in the snow in New England right before Christmas. But we'll talk about that more next week. Tony, thanks so much. Oh, thank you, Brian. It was, it was uh, as always, it's, it's so much fun to go down memory lane. And, and that's why I love sports, because it creates great memories. And, and the game we just talked about was certainly one of those. Tonight on the BTSC family of podcasts, make sure you check out and download the Scobro show, as well as tomorrow morning on Wednesday, you're going to get an opportunity to check out Jeff Hartman once again with Let's Ride. And don't forget about Jeff Hartman. And his series, that's very important this time of year, it is the Steeler training camp recap that he's doing every day the Steelers are practicing in pads. So, Tony, once again, thank you very much. I enjoy these moments with you, reminiscing about these games. For Tony Defio, my name is Brian Anthony Davis. And to quote the great Hugh Anthony Craig III, you know him as Huey Lewis, take me away, I don't mind but you better promise me I'll be back in time.